daily disciplines for a godly life. You want to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 9. We'll be reading from there in just a little bit. But some years ago, I was talking with a friend of mine, a local Christian leader, one who'd been a pastor in this area for a number of years, and then was a denominational leader in a neighboring county until his retirement. But this man had played college football for University of Alabama back many, many years ago and was committed to keeping his body in good shape. He was a jogger. He jogged regularly. There was an article in the Tallahassee Democrat some years ago about this man and his jogging. We were at a meeting together, and I asked him one day, I said, at this meeting, I said, what about your jogging? I said, I know that you do that regularly, and you're committed to it. There's an article in the paper about it. I said, do you ever take, do you like jog five days a week and then you take, you know, Saturday and Sunday off or do you just take Sunday off or what is your, what is your regimen? What's your schedule? You know what his answer was? He said, Doyle, if I ever took one day off, I would never run again. If I took one day off, I would never run again. The discipline that it takes to do something like that, rain or shine, rain or shine, hot or cold, he was going to be out on the road and he was going to be running sometime during the day, spending that time, the discipline that it takes. The athletes here today understand it takes some discipline to do what you do and it takes some stick with it. It takes some go to it and make it happen for you to be able to, to perform like you do in your endeavor. And I want us to look at our text today, and I want us to consider some personal discipline for leading and living the godly life. These things that we're going to be looking at are not burdensome. They're not something that's difficult and hard to do. It's something that can be a joy in the life of someone who has experienced the, the life-changing power of the Holy Spirit of God when we trust Jesus to be our Savior from sin. He comes into our life, becomes a part of our life. These are not burdensome things to do. It's not difficult when we want to be the children of God that He would have us to be. And we say, I, but I, I'm, I'm going to have to have some discipline in this because life has a, has a way of getting in the way of being what we want to be for the Lord. You know, those days when you don't feel much like practicing. Uh, Coach, you know the days when the guys are, are having a hard time out there on the practice field. You girls know what it means whenever you really don't feel like going for that dig on the volleyball team. You know those things. Life has a way of getting in the way, but God has some things for us. Let's look at our passage and then begin to look at these. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, we'll begin there. And it says, Do you not know? that those who run in a race run all, but only one receives the prize. There is one person who crosses the line first, and we know that and understand that. But he says this, run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body 
and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. I've said it a lot of times through the years as a preacher, if the sermon doesn't hit me first, if it's not good for me first, I have no right, no authority, nothing from God to stand in this place and share any of this with you if it's not for me first. And that is so true. And it holds true every day. We have to discipline ourselves to be what God would have us to be. It's not burdensome. It's a joy if we do that. If we let those things begin to slide, then it will be like the athlete in the field who is beating the air or running without aim. We don't know where we're going. If you don't have a goal in life, you'll hit it every time. Nothing. Nothing. We have to do that. It's not like the guy who was driving through the countryside and saw a barn out there with a bunch of of targets painted on it, and there was a bullet hole right in the center of each one of those targets. And he stopped there and he said, I want to talk to the guy who, who did this. And the young fellow came out of the barn and he said, I'm the one that did that. And he said, that is amazing. How did you do that? And he said, it's easy. You shoot the barn and then paint the targets around the hole. <laughs> That's not how to win, girls. That's not how to win, all right? We're not doing this without aim. We have a reason for what we're doing. And he says, only one receives the prize. The good news is in the, the, in, in the children of God, in, in the Christian life, when we trust Christ as our Savior, He is the prize. And we go through life living for Him, and that prize is ours. It always is. And we want to get to heaven and hear Him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Don't you want to hear Him say that when you get there? Boy, I do. Let's look at these things. We need to remember what the Apostle John writes in one of his letters to those who were believers in Jesus Christ as Savior, which would include us today. And he tells all these people about the conflict between the spirit of Antichrist and the spirit of God. And he says there's a battle going on, but then he reminds us that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. How true that is. Thank you, Lord, for that truth. He's called us to something bigger than we are, bigger than ourselves. And say, I want you to be a part of me in this kingdom work. I want you to be in the cause of Christ. And so here's some things that I think will help us. We've talked about some things like this in the days gone by, but I want to bring some more in today and try to encourage us and and strengthen us along the way as we go. So, the daily discipline for a godly life. Number one, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. In Matthew chapter 5, and he says this in verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Have you ever thought about hunger and thirst? Thirst, they say, is one of the greatest physical drives of the human experience. When we're thirsty, nothing will do but you must have some water. I've been out in the deserts in the western United States and seen the markers out there where a body was found. Someone had literally thirsted to death. And there was a marker there commemorating that experience from 
years ago. If you've ever been outside on a hot day and you're working in the yard, maybe in the lawn or in the flower bed or whatever the case might be, you're working in that and the sun is beating down and all of a sudden you realize, you know, my body is, is, is thirsty. It's, it's for something. And, and, and so you get up and go inside and you get that cool glass of water. Man, nothing like it. Thirsty. Thirsty. Can you imagine being in a situation where there is no water? How thirsty would we be? He says, do you thirst after the righteousness of God? Do we, do we get to that place in our life when we say, Lord, nothing else matters. I want your righteousness in me. I want you to be top in my life in everything that I do. But notice in there, he's also said, Hunger and thirst. Hunger is a great drive too. When we get hungry and our, our stomach begins to gnaw at us and, and, and we're, we're, we're just starving and pretty soon we know that if there's no food, there's going to be death. Hunger, it is one of those drives that makes us get up and move and go try to find some way to, to, to satisfy that hunger. When I was a student at Florida State majoring in history, I took a Brazilian history course. I'd been to Brazil a couple of times in the Navy and, and knew a little something about that. And so that course intrigued me and I took the course. It was an interesting course, a lot about Brazil, but one of the requirements in that course was to read a book entitled A Child of the Dark. A Child of the Dark. What that book was, was a compilation of a, of a daily diary that a lady in the favela of Sao Paulo, Brazil had written. And someone had gotten a hold of some of this diary that she'd read and uh, written and, and they read part of it and they said, you need to make this into a book. People need to understand what it's like to live in the favela of South America. I've seen the favela in Rio de Janeiro, in Rio de Janeiro not been to Sao Paulo, but let me tell you what the favela is. The favela is the, the awfulest of ghetto situations you can think of. I've been in the ghettos of Chicago. I know what that looks like. And sat on the sofa in a man's house where there was nothing but a board there. There was no, no padding on the sofa at all. Been there, seen that. Walked in the streets of Rio de Janeiro and saw the awfulness of some of what those people live. The favela is basically a cardboard village on the side of the hill that people just find something to try to cover up with at night. Rain comes, washes away. They have to do it all over again. It's awful. Carolina Maria de Jesus was her name. And she told in that book a story that I hope I never forget that illustrates what I'm trying to say today. She would leave the favela. She had two children. She would leave the favela. She would go into town and she would try to find something that she could do, something she could could take maybe and find some paper and sell it and, and try to make just enough for her and her sons to subsist. One day as she was going into town from the favela, she would go through the alleyway there and there was some trash cans and there was a small boy eagerly gnawing at a piece of half rotted meat. And she looked at that and said, son, don't do that. Don't do that. That will, that will hurt you. That will make you sick. Don't do that. He thought she was asking for some and he offered her some. And she said, no, no, that's not it. And tried to talk him out of it. But he was so hungry. He was ravenously eating that food. 
She went on back home another way. The next day, she got up, was making her way back into town. There was that little boy's bloated body laying by that trash can. He was already dead. Hunger. Thirst. Do we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God in our lives daily? The discipline for godly living. It's not burdensome. It's not hard. Just say, Lord, it's you and me today. And it's all about you. And that's what I want in my life. Will you do that for me today? And I can hear the Lord saying, yeah, I sure can. Listen as I read a little bit more in Matthew chapter 5. Beginning in verse 13, he says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth shall pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. What is our righteousness? Our righteousness is Christ in us, the hope of glory. He made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Lord, your presence in my life changes my whole attitude. Your presence in my life changes my whole desire. Your presence in my life changes my whole plan for life. Lord, if there's one thing I want, is to, to have the righteousness of Christ in me. Secondly, desire the pure milk of the Word of God. You know the passage probably very well. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. And then verse 3 says, if you've tasted the kingdom of the Lord. Desire, long for the pure milk of the word of God. Lord, I want to spend time back on July 30th in a message living on the, plat on the foundation of Christ. We were challenged with three platforms that are necessary for living on the foundation of Christ, prayer, Bible study, and fellowship with believers. We talked about those things, and this is in reference to one of those, that Bible study, spending time in the Word of God, being faithful to the Bible study. We need to desire the Word of God. Someone says, you know, wh where do I start with that, preacher? Where do I start? I liked what someone shared with me one time, have a desire to desire the Word of God. 
Lord, I want to have that desire in my life. Will you implant that in me? And I can't see God sitting there, Brother Larry, and saying, no, not doing that. Why would I want you to get in the Word and study it? Why would I want you to get in the Word and live by that? Of course He does. Of course He does. So we can say, Lord, I have a real desire in my life to want the Word of God. I long for it. Will you put it within me? You know, have you ever noticed what happens in a, in a baby's life? That baby comes into this world. You put that baby over on the side, never pay attention to it, never take care of its needs. That baby's going to die because they can't take care of themselves. They come into this world. They don't really know what's going on. They just know they discovered the world. Whatever that may mean, they're, 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 they're beginning to begin. But have you ever noticed when they get hungry what they'll do? They'll let you know something is wrong. They'll let you know, I need something. They don't know what to say. They can't say it. They can't say, give me food, Mom. They can't say, feed me right now. All they know how to do is give you a lot of noise. A lot of noise. <laughs> but they're made that way. I like Dr. W.A. Criswell's definition of a child. One time he said this. He said, a definition of a child is a lot of noise on one end. It's a long alimentary tract with a lot of noise on one end and no sense of responsibility on the other. <laughs> that may be true. But when that child gets hungry, they'll let you know. And so Peter says, like newborn babes, you may not even know why you need the Word of God. You may not even know what you need out of it for your life today. You may not know what you're going to face today. None of us do. But I can promise you this. If you'll spend time in the Word of God, that time will come when you will say, Thank you, Lord, for what you've given me. Lord, I want your Word. Will you just impart it into my life? Let me get into it and see what you say. When I read my chapter from the Scripture every day, I always pray, Lord, bless this word to my life and then to others through me. Use it there. And sometimes I'm reading through and I promise you, I can be like anybody else. Uh, my mind will start wondering, wait, let me come back here to where, where this is. That really happens to you, preacher? Yeah, it does. Just like anybody else. But I'll come back to it and sometimes I spend more time than others pondering over something that I see there. And sometimes I look at it and go, Really? Let me look back here and see what see how this fits in this in this passage and and without fail God always directs somewhere in there to say look this is what I'm trying to say we need that in our lives so let's desire the word of God we may not always know exactly what we need but God knows so let's just get in it and spend time in it where do I start where do I start Genesis is a good place, a book of beginnings. You get that one down, it kind of refers to everything else in the Bible. You can understand a lot more. Genesis is a good place to start. Want to read the New Testament? Start in Matthew. John's a great one. Read those and let God speak to your heart. Third, pray without ceasing. Another platform we talked about was prayer. We said it didn't mean we have to go around 24-7 on our knees with our hands folded and our eyes closed. No, it doesn't mean that at all, but it means we keep that channel of communication with the Lord open at all times. Some of my favorite prayer times when I was pastor at Fellowship and my staff knew, I would tell the secretary, 
I'm going to be over in the worship center. Sometimes the custodian would come in and he would see me in there and he'd turn around and go back out. I'd hear him. Sometimes I'd see him. But some of my favorite prayer time, Brother Tommy, was when I would, I would go over there and by myself, nobody around, and I'd just walk through the worship center. And I'd touch the pews. And I'd say, Lord, this week, will you fill that pew with people? Or would you just bring folks in and fill this, this pew? And I'd go through and touch the chairs in the choir, Brother Larry, and say, Lord, will you put people here? And Lord, may the worship this week be powerful and strong. So my favorite t- prayer times was in those times, just talking with the Lord about those things. And, but I never failed also to ask him, Lord, will you just fill this place with the Spirit of God? Give Satan no place in here this Lord's day. Give him no place. Don't let him come in here and cause any, any issue at all. My prayer has been a lot for people around the world as they meet. Lord, will you take care of your people? And if Satan tries to send one of his emissaries in there to cause harm or injury, Lord, will you turn it around on them and may the power of God be so strong that that person gets saved? Wouldn't that be the neat thing to happen? Join me in that prayer. Let's make it happen around the world. When I was in seminary, I had made some really good friends here in Tallahassee when I came to school. Uh, here, in fact, on a Tuesday night visitation from uh, the church that, that we were attending at the time. We came down and visited there on a Sunday morning, University Heights Baptist Church, now Northwoods. We visited there. Tuesday night, two young men came to our apartment there on, on the campus at Florida State. And uh, those two guys became very, very dear friends. We all left Tallahassee about the same time, went to seminary together. And uh, they're still very dear friends. Saw some of them just last week. And uh, we've just been close through the years. One of those young men had a, one of those young men had a, had a young son named David. And uh, David would ride to church with Susan and I sometimes. And it was always fun watching this little fellow grow. And he was about two years old or so, just talking good. And uh, David, David was a sport. He could ask a thousand questions. He'd sit in our car stand. We didn't have seats in those days. This was a long time ago. But he would stand there and he would say, Brother Doyle, Brother Doyle, what's that? And I'd try to tell him, what color is that? Well, it's red. Roof on a pizza hut. I said, it's red. He said, why? I said, I don't know. Maybe they, maybe they just like red. Why? And I'd have to answer these questions just time and time and time again. And finally one day I said, why do you want to know? He stopped for a second. But it didn't last long. He was right back to the questions. We had a fellow in the church where Jim was preaching at the time. His dad was the pastor. I was the music minister, Brother Larry, if you can fathom that. But anyway, Brother John had some serious heart problems. And... uh, he was going to Bethesda, Maryland, have surgery, hopefully come back. The church took up an offering to buy his return trip ticket on the airplane. That's faith. Jim told me, he said, one night we were there by the bed and uh, David was going through his prayers and he prayed for Brother John. And he said he just prayed Brother John that the Lord would take care of him and he'd have good surgery and he'd come back safe. 
And Jim said, when they got finished with the prayer, he said, amen. Got up, looked his daddy in the face very matter-of-factly and said, Brother John, going to be all right now. The faith of a child. Brother John, going to be all right now. Brother John came home from Bethesda and he was strong and doing well. I thought if I ever need prayer, I'm calling David. Pray for me. The faith of a child that will say, God, I, I trust you and I believe you and I'm going with it for the glory of God. Another friend I met in seminary, John Stacy, said on his wall in his office, he had a plaque that read, no prayer, no power. Little prayer, little power. Much prayer, much power. Boy, boy, I want to keep that there. Fourthly, abstain from every form of evil. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 says that. I like the way the King James reads here when it says, abstain from all appearance of evil. If it looks questionable, stay away from it. That's the best advice someone can give you. If it looks questionable or if you have a question about it, don't do it. Young people, as you grow in life, one of the best things you'll ever do is say, look, if it looks questionable or sounds questionable, I'm not doing it. I'm not going there. Just not going there. You'll be way ahead of the game if you do it like that. You're way ahead of the game. Every appearance of evil. I had a friend in the Navy named Dick Hubbard. Dick was a first-class petty officer when I got to VA-106, the squadron. And uh, he was a man of God. He loved the Lord. It showed up in his life. But as I got to know more people in the squadron, I began to understand a little bit more about his life, and, and people began to tell me a little bit about him. They said, man, you wouldn't believe this guy. About two years ago, he changed and started becoming like this. But they said before that, he was a drinker, brawler, carouser, womanizer, married, divorced, blah, blah, blah. Just all, all the stuff you can think about someone who living in that kind of debauchery and lifestyle, they said, that was Dick Hubbard. That's where he was. So I thought, what in the world happened? Because I saw him as a fine man of God. I began to talk to him and he said, he said, let me tell you what happened to me, Doyle. He said, my, he said, when I was out there doing all this crazy stuff, he said, I met this lady and uh, said, I, I liked her. And for some reason, whatever reason, she evidently kind of liked me and said, she married me. And he said, I don't know why she did. She shouldn't have because she was a committed Christian, went to church every Sunday, always trying to get me in church and I wouldn't go. And he said, once in a while, she'd talk me into going to a little Pentecostal church there in Jacksonville. And he said, I'd go out there and I'd sit on the back row and laugh it up. Man, these holy rollers, crazy people, blah, blah, blah. And he said, I thought it was the biggest show I could go to. He said, she'd keep asking, keep asking. I'd tell her no. Once in a while, I'd go. One, day they, one week, they were having a little revival at that church. And she invited me, and I, fed, I said, okay, I'll go. So I'm sitting on the back row, and all this stuff is going on. And he said, for whatever reason, things changed that. God reached down, and in the very back row of that little Pentecostal church, he grabbed a hold of my heart, and he said, the next thing I knew, I was on my way down the aisle, and he said, I was just broken, a broken man, and I gave my life to Christ. And boy, what a difference it made in Dick Hubbard. And he tried his best to live for Jesus. He was one of the men on that cruise, my last cruise in the Navy, who helped me to understand what it meant to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. 
Wow, what a guy, what a guy. But I've always thought back about Dick's life and the story about him before and the story about him afterward. And I said, that's what it means to abstain from every appearance, every form of evil, just to say, I'm putting it away. And you couldn't talk Dick into doing any of that stuff he'd done before on a dare. Wasn't going to happen. It's not hard, not burdensome. We just don't do it anymore because the presence of Christ has made the difference in our lives. Fifthly, well, let's see, I want to I want to give you another passage before we move on from here. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, he says this: Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. That's a daily discipline for godly living. And then lastly, love God and love others. Remind you of a very important passage recorded by Matthew and Mark. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything that is there. Homer Lindsay Jr. wrote a, a book for his new members class at First Baptist Jacksonville many years ago. He's been gone to be with the Lord now for a number of years. He wrote a little book for his new member orientation class. His wife taught that class. One chapter in that book was this, The Church's Greatest Need. And in that, he went through several things. Some people might say the greatest need is for folks to tithe like they should. Yeah, that's a great need, but that's not it. Greatest need is for people to attend service. Yeah, that's a great need, but that's not it. And he went through a list of those things, and finally he said the greatest need is this that we talked about. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And here was the point. Because when we really love God, Above everything else, all that other stuff just kind of comes together. All of a sudden, it's not a big issue to tithe. All of a sudden, it's not a big issue to attend Sunday school and worship. All of a sudden, it's not a big issue to sing praises. All of a sudden, it's not a big issue to set aside Sunday morning to be in the house of God. It's not a big deal anymore when we really know what it means to love the Lord. You could add a lot more things, but these will help us keep things on an even keel. And as you grow in the things of God personally as a church, and as we close, I want to take a look at why we need to be faithful in these disciplines, because the world needs the message of hope in Christ. Our world is hurting. We know that. We just saw what happened in Charlottesville, Virginia. We're looking at what's going on with North Korea nowadays, Las Vegas, just a week or so ago, and, and what, a, what an awful thing that was, the massacre there and the lives that were lost and affected by all that. They're talking about the PTSD now from, uh, from the, the survivors of that event. Our world is in a mess, but we have good news in the midst of the mess. The good news is that God loves you, and Jesus came to be among us and live like us, yet without sin, and take our sin and die with it on the cross so that we could be forgiven of that sin. Then he took his life back in resurrection power so that if we would trust in him, we have eternal life. Trust Christ. He comes in. He makes a new person out of you in the presence of Christ. We say, Lord, help me to be more like you, the righteousness of Christ.
I want to pray. I want to open your word and read it. I want to get away from the stuff that, that was in my life that caused you to go to the cross first place. Lord, I want to love you above everything else so that my life can count for the glory of God. Keeping our focus on him. It is true that we have an adversary who would love nothing better than to mess that all up. Listen to what he says in 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Jesus, he's who he says he is. This is God's Word. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that it's coming and now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We've overcome them by the presence of Christ in our life. Not burdensome. It's just something we do because we want to bring glory to God and we want other people to understand what it means to be saved and we invite them to come and join with us in this journey with Christ. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak as from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Wow. Salvation is in Jesus Christ alone. Keep telling the story. Be faithful and true. Let others see Jesus in you. I have a book in my library. It's an old book by Leonard Ravenhill. It's titled, Why Revival Tarries. And he pretty much skins us preachers in this if we're not careful. He said, guys, what are you doing? And it's good for us to hear these things all along. And in this, he tells the story of Charlie Peace. Charlie Peace was a condemned criminal and uh, nobody had been able to change his life. And finally, he was condemned to the gallows to die. He was at Armley Jail in Leeds, England. Before he went there, on the day of his hanging, his death, he was going to the gallows, and the prison chaplain was long, walking along beside, and according to the story, he was kind of nonchalantly reading from a book as they go to the gallows. Charlie Peace looks over at him and he says, Chaplain, what are you reading from? The Consolations of Religion. Well, that sounds deep. The Consolations of Religion. And said Charlie was shocked that he could read so nonchalantly about hell and, and Christ and, and heaven. Just kind of matter of fact. And then Leonard tells this. He says, listen to the eve of hell sermon that Charlie Peace preached. He said, sir... If I believe what you and the church of God say that you believe, even if England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would walk over, if need be, on hands and knees and think it worthwhile living just to save one soul from an eternal hell like that. Why do we need to be faithful to these things? Because the world around us is hurt.
world around us is in trouble. But we have the presence of God to help us to live out our faith in Christ every day so that others may see Jesus in us.